This episode was originally a live conversation at Startup Nights 2022 in Winterthur. Hey, but Toby, I'm going to Hawaii. I didn't find anything in Honolulu. Okay, we went back <laughs> internet, searched for guides in Honolulu and tried to acquire them. Welcome to the Swisspreneur Show, a podcast about startup stories and learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Sylvan. Tobias, a very well welcome to the Swisspreneur Show. It's such a pleasure to have you here today. Thanks for having me. <laughs> you are the co-founder and CTO at Get Your Guide, the leading booking platform unlocking unforgettable travel experiences which you also have, of course, used many, many times with the Swisspreneur team. Before we talk about your impressive story, I actually want to start with your personal background. You studied information technology and also electrical engineering at the ETH in Zurich. And during your studies, you also worked for the design agency uh, Palindrome, I think that's how you pronounce it. And back then, I just wonder, what were your big dreams, your ambitions, you know, that you followed? Wow, you did really well research. Yes, Polyndrome was one of my students' jobs. I'm not sure where, where that's listed, but it was not a big thing. So my big dreams were actually like more going into the education. So all, all my siblings, so sister, brothers, uh, my parents, all are teachers. So, so I was dedicated to do that as well. I do have an education uh, to teach. But uh, I would say, luckily, I did another path and found it with a few friends from, from the university, like Get Your Guide. That's quite a, a different career path than, you know, having the, the family background fully in education. Where does your entrepreneurial drive come from? Did you have any role models or anyone else outside of the family that inspired you? Totally not. And we really have also seen that difference be between the founders, I was kind of the greenhorn, like no idea from <laughs> entrepreneurship. I was the tech guy. So yes, I know how to program computers, but like the entrepreneurial stuff definitely came from like my co-founders. And over time, of course, and you probably hear it in my speech today or in the interview, uh, it comes at learning by doing, right? I mean, right. You, you start understanding how things work, what's important. And it's definitely a different story than being a teacher, I can tell you. <laughs> Absolutely. But basically, you, you put the learning into a different practice, so to speak, right? Yeah, sure. <laughs> so in 2009, you co-founded Get Your Guide. You were five co-founders in total. Where did you actually meet your four other co-founders? Exactly. I was saying uh, friends from uh, ETH, but it was actually, I only knew one. So Pascal, mm -hmm. I was studying with him. And he kind of met the other co-founders in a course at ETH. So he also was not like friends with them. It was really, he just liked their pitch. So they pitched Get Your Guide for writing a business plan. And he just liked that and joined that team. And after they finished their course, they had the business plan, so a piece of paper. That was not enough for them. And then they were looking for someone that has the skill to build that. Mm -hmm. And Pascal just called me up and said, hey, Toby, do you want to build a website? And I immediately said yes, because that's what I like doing. <laughs> yeah. And only later on, I learned about what the website is about <laughs> and what we are building. What kind of students, what type of students were your co-founders? Do you remember back then? Uh, to be honest, I didn't really follow like them during the study. So 
But uh, when we met in our small office in Techno Park, it was definitely a lot of energy, a lot of vision, uh, a lot of passion. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I guess they were similar during their studies. What I do know, though, they study completely different things, right? So biochemistry, economics, right. physics. So none of us had a travel background. And that's actually fascinating because then you could also argue it doesn't matter too much what you actually study. If you have enough motivation and drive, you can actually tackle anything you want. I do agree. Yes. I mean, the vision and the passion is, is half of it. Yeah. And I mean, we could not get into kind of, I don't know, uh, crypto because that's very right. tech, but travel, I would say is very low tech. Yeah. So everybody travels. It's somehow easy to understand how that market works. Yeah. And we also read that the initial idea of Get Your Guide came from a personal experience from Johannes and Tal, two of the five co-founders. They had a travel experience and were not that happy about it. They saw a solution to improve things. Can you elaborate a bit more about these early beginnings? Yeah, exactly. It was a, a trip to uh, Beijing when mm -hmm. uh, Tao and Johannes and another bunch of students went. And for whatever reason, uh, Johannes arrived one day earlier. Uh, and he was looking forward to kind of spend uh, a day in that city, exploring the city, but he had so much troubles to understand the people, to communicate, kind of to navigate. Yeah. So he basically stayed in the hotel for that day yeah. till Tao arrived. Uh, if you've seen Tao, he has some Chinese background. He speaks Mandarin and like that was a game changer for, for him and the group, yeah. right? They they really unlocked and these, these all these experiences. And during that time, Johannes thought how, how amazing it would be to book a student mm -hmm. that is already in the de destination that knows the city, that knows English, yeah. uh, and then just pick him up from the airport, bring him to the hotel and show him some sites. Yeah. And this was really the initial idea. It was from a personal pain point right. <laughs> where the idea kind of, of started. But I think that's actually a very strong motivator to change things, right? If you want to use the potential solution yourself, you have a strong motivation to change things. Definitely. I mean, that, that was, we saw the pain, we saw a solution. Uh, but if we go a little bit forward and probably we'll ask later about that, we changed a little bit our business model, of course, right? Yeah. I mean, the initial idea was very tailored to students. Mm -hmm. Uh, but we failed. With that first prototype that we launched, uh, we completely failed. Students didn't register as guide. They didn't see the, their value they could mm -hmm. add to international people visiting their hometown, basically. Um, so we really failed. But we realized there is a big need for professional businesses. Professional mm -hmm. guides, they already existed in those cities to get more sales and to get sales online, right? That was completely new for them. How did he exactly realize this? It was really, we launched uh, the first prototype for students and then they started approaching us and say, hey, can we be on our plat on your platform? Uh, how much does it cost? Uh, and so on and so forth. And it was not only one, it was a handful. And then we realized that's probably the better business. Right. And then yeah. we reached out, out to a few more here around Zurich and, and mm -hmm. asked them, hey, what is actually the need? Yeah. And this is where we like went back to the drawing board and, and redesigned a little bit our product. It was still similar, but definitely more tailored to these professional suppliers. And with the launch of Get Your Guide 2.0, that's how we called it back then. <laughs> Everything was 2.0. Right. Uh, we kind of uh, launched this marketplace that we still have today. And I think what you just described, this is a very normal thing to happen for almost any startup. You rarely end up with the initial idea that you had back in the days, right? 
Yeah, exactly. And I think you also need to be bold enough to make that decision mm -hmm. that uh, uh, you go away from your idea <laughs> and your first vision to really where the market is probably. So mm -hmm. definitely follow a little bit the market. Uh, and yes, it, I think for us, the pivot was not as dramatic. Uh, even though our early investors like Zekabe, they didn't like that. They wanted to invest <laughs> in, in the student platform. Yeah, of course, that's the interesting clientele for them, right? But probably looking back, <laughs> I, I would say they are happy with that. I can did. imagine. <laughs> I can imagine. Talking about the market, how did the market, the travel market look like, you know, back in, in your early days? It, I, I imagine it not to be so digital. They, there was some stuff going on, but... The internet probably changed a lot of things in the market. Exactly. So when, when we arrived, I mean, internet was there for quite a while. Sure. Uh, and what we've seen like flights and hotels were already like a few steps ahead of um, tours and activities in, in the space where we are. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's also why all the these uh, suppliers that we call the guides, yeah. uh, supplier reached out to us. They saw like all the other segments from travel moved slowly online and yeah. they were really lagging behind right and that's why they were uh, looking for a solution we fortunately could provide that you know something that we often underestimate by talking to many podcast guests they say timing is yeah. crucial but you often don't really grasp it until you can look back to it and say oh we actually had really good timing how would you describe the importance of timing in get your guide story no I, it's absolutely right i mean I give some presentation and usually I talk about the five factors to success mm -hmm. and the first one is exactly timing. And yes, you only realize that later, right? Yeah. While you're in your kind of dreaming phase, this <laughs> is the product that we will launch. Yeah. You're probably not looking at that, but looking back, it's exactly what I told you. Mm -hmm. Hotels, flights were digitalized, were online. Yeah. It was just a natural next step that also like yeah. tours and activity go, goes online. But so, yeah, I'm not sure if you could make a constant step out of your daily business when you're very early stage and look at, is it the right timing? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, at the end, we, it's probably a bit of luck as well. <laughs> you probably felt it, right? Because you got this inbound interest and that sort of shows you, hey, the timing might be quite good because there's an initial interest to solve this problem. Exactly. And I think that's also like probably the strength or that we said, yes, we were open to that change, right? Uh, as I was saying yeah. before. So look at the market, what is the need? And yeah. it's always the fun story, but I want to mention it again. Yeah, sure. I think there is only very few companies out there that can launch products even before market fit. And it's, it's Apple, right? I mean, they launched the iPhone. Everybody was laughing. I mean, you don't have yeah. a keyboard, a physical one, but they <laughs> changed really how people behave. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a bold goal if you as a company really or as a startup really want to have that. And mm -hmm. I would rather go on the safe path and... and try to adapt to the market rather than hope to really change the market. Right. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, because most try, they don't actually change the market. They just fail. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Let's also talk about your platform. You empower both, not only the tourists, but also the suppliers, the, the service providers, basically. So how do you actually bring them together? What is Get Your Guides platform today? And uh, not 100% sure I understand the question. So the two-sided marketplaces, yes, it's the suppliers and they 
like the tours are their product. So it's yeah. always a supplier behind the, behind the tour. And that's the one side of the marketplace. And the other side is really the travelers, right? The people going, going on vacation. And yeah, for us, it's exactly that's the challenge. How can we fit them together? Mm-hmm. Because <laughs> that's also a funny story. So many people want to have the, or do these things of the hidden path, like nobody else is doing. That's always what they're talking about. But what we see, what they book is then the Eiffel Tower ticket, the <laughs> Louvre Museum, <laughs> the Sand Cruise, uh, right? So I think the say do ratio because, yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's very, but, but for us, it's definitely, even though the people buy the Eiffel Tower ticket, we have much more. And that's one of our challenge to say, hey, okay, you do the Eiffel Tower ticket, but why don't you want to do like a French food tour in given the district in Paris? Right. Uh, and this is really the challenging point, like that they can discover the full inventory that we have mm-hmm. uh, and not just the things that are anyways top of their head when they're traveling to Paris. Right. If they book the more traditional, you know, tours, let's put it that way. <laughs> How big of a, uh, an importance is the upselling game that you then also can sell them a second tour or a second experience? I mean, it should be big. We are working on that. Uh, currently, we still see uh, people do book one thing and, and yeah. then they go back to Google, come through Google again to us, <laughs> oh, no. book another thing. So keeping yeah. the, the, the people in our ecosystem is definitely yeah. something we are working on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because then you basically pay double acquisition cost, right? That's not that fun from a business perspective. Exactly. So Google is our friend, but <laughs> I think we, we pay enough for acquiring uh, uh, people. Yeah. And yeah, that's, I mean, if you talk about Google, it's always kind of this frenemy for a sure. relationship. Of course, I mean, they're doing an amazing job. We can very easily acquire customers, mm-hmm. but also they try always launch new products to kind of make people come back to their platform and they don't even don't really leverage like the companies themselves to promote their brand right Mm -hmm. i understand their interest (laughs) they should also understand us so it's a little bit of give and take i mean at the same time google could also be a potential competitor right i'm sure that any investor will tell you that all the time but when you see what they do to google flights for example or to like massages or hotels where they also have a booking integrated in the search that is probably a potential real threat for you yeah yeah it is and i mean they will never do the transaction themselves right mm-hmm. even though you book in a google mosque <laughs> right? right it will still go on our platform because i've not seen google doing all the customer support all, all like the acquisition of the suppliers yeah. but that will mean our brand disappears more or less and yeah. we will be just the booking engine uh, we are definitely fighting hard against that and exactly this is also where the brand uh, really makes a difference right if, if people come back to us uh, and really say you can trust get your guide i mean either everything works or they refunded us they they that that's definitely what what we want to build this trust because in the google mask or on, if you book on a google website they still and that's their plan, they will still have multiple providers, right? And it would be get you guys, right. it would be others. And so I'm not sure if you then always know, okay, if I go book with Google, I get this kind of service level. Yeah, yeah let, let's see where they're going. I, I know Google launches <laughs> every now and then new products. You, mm-hmm. You've seen with shopping, there was very similar with the, um, for tours and activities. So e- yeah. in their search, they had a banner 
to immediately book. They also tried something in maps. So you could book tickets for museums directly in the maps. It was using our APIs, but uh, it was in Google. And they, I mean, most of their product, they shut down again. Yeah. So they, they are also struggling and I think it's also hard for them to kind of position themselves. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's the, <laughs> we need to, yeah. It's a bit just, of a yeah, love-hate relationship. Ex exactly. <laughs> and you, you just need to provide an amazing customer experience yeah. and, and people should like uh, know your brand. Absolutely. And then I think we can survive and even win. Exactly. <laughs> what is actually your business model behind the platform? Do you have a core revenue stream or even multiple revenue streams that you focus on? Uh, no, the only revenue stream we have is commission-based. Yeah. So, and... And this also helped us initially to get a lot of supplier onboarded, right? I mean, we don't have listing fees. We don't have like annual subscription or mon monthly subscription. It's all for free. You can upload your product. We will market it. Yeah. If you get a booking, we take a commission. Yeah. Talking about aligning the incentives, right? This is probably crucial that you get a huge supply of different tour operators. Exactly. And... <laughs> We can a little bit talk about the marketplace approach. I mean, mm -hmm. back in the days, we were the only one that were doing this as a marketplace. So basically every supplier, tiny ones, big ones could be on our platform. Mm -hmm. Our biggest competitor, I can mention it, is Viator. They are part of uh, TripAdvisor. They used to be standalone. And I mean, before they were bought or acquired by TripAdvisor. Mm -hmm. And their model was to go to a city and do exclusive deals with one or two providers, uh, tour operators, right? Yeah. And we were a marketplace and, and pretty quickly we kind of outgrew the inventory. I mean, number of, of activities yeah. we, could, we could onboard. I need to be honest, like having all the long tail is not always beneficial, right? Mm -hmm. it, it like uh, initially, and I can tell you most of the revenue we made is with these fat tail right it's yeah, the tickets course. the museum ticket Eiffel Tower yeah. ticket this is also the I would say easy products right mm -hmm. if somebody gets an Eiffel Tower ticket they know what they have yeah. about the walking tour okay is the guide speaking my language where is yeah. the meeting point it's way way more complex and mm -hmm. also there is so many different walking tours right uh, and this is then only like the second tier and and we had even even a longer tail right, right. and yeah. sometimes these long tail is also disrupting you a little bit from focusing on where really the revenue is coming from yeah. uh, and finally when Viator got acquired by TripAdvisor they immediately also switched kind of these to this marketplace approach because that's like TripAdvisor they have yeah. reviews for everything of course and I think that also kind of uh, slowed them a little bit down, right? Mm -hmm. so suddenly they had much, much more inventory than we had. I'm not even sure if everything was bookable. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that was not only positive for their end. So, I want to talk a bit more about this this marketplace platform approach because this is super interesting. So the first thing is, of course, often I could imagine, especially when starting out, you, you probably have sort of an adverse selection that only the tour operators, you know, that don't get enough clients would really want to go on your platform and be listed because they say we desperately need the revenue. Mm -hmm. So even if it's listed for free, they say, oh yeah, please bring me on because I can use more business. But the top tier ones, they might be fully booked. They just say, we can't be bothered to be listed on the, on the platform because we already have enough business. How do you solve this to have enough of the attractive, the top tier attractions on there? Uh, yeah, it's a very good question. And initially we couldn't get them. I mean, I make the example again, because it's just big Eiffel Tower is 
owned by the state, right? Yeah. And they have only very selected resellers that mm -hmm. could sell their tickets. And then initially, we went to the resellers to ask, hey, can we sell your tickets? And I think that was somehow still legal -ish. <laughs> Gray area. <laughs> <laughs> Great, let's say gray area. Uh, this is like initially how we get, we get yeah. that. And it took years mm -hmm. to negotiate with them that we can have now a direct connection. Wow. And what really helped was like, having local people, right? I mean, initially yeah. we started in Zurich, so we, like how we acquired uh, suppliers was call it a for emailing. Sure, yeah. Uh, eventually we also had like local offices. We started in Rome, then Paris, and yeah. this really unlocked a lot of things. If you go and have a coffee with them, if you say hello, uh, invite for a dinner, yeah. be part of the network in the cities, right? There, yeah. there is many communities that really help to kind of exactly unlock the, these yeah, let's say the fat tail. Mm -hmm. But that's also a high maintenance effort, right? Because I, I assume very few companies would be willing to put in that effort to, you know, meet them for a coffee or even for a dinner to actually get them on the platform. Many would just send an email and then leave it. But there is also not many of these super big attractions, right? Uh, yeah. in, in Paris, probably Moulin Rouge, uh, Louvre, uh, Eiffel Tower. So right. yes, we invest that in those cities that we want to be, mm -hmm. it's not yet all over the world, but uh, many cities, we do that investment and, and, and yeah. really go there. And I mean, now it's Broadway, <laughs> sure. New York, we really want that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And this chicken and egg problem, right? Of any platform in the early days, how did you solve that from a focus perspective? Did you focus more on the supply side at the beginning and then shift it to the demand side or? Did you always have a good ratio in mind to balance them or did one follow the other? How, how was that for you? So initially it was extremely focused on supply, right? I mean, mm -hmm. if you have a store, I mean, the marketplace and the shelves are empty, <laughs> nobody comes, exactly. yeah. right? So initially we heavily focused on, on, on supply and, and the problem with travel, it is international. Mm -hmm. So you can not only have like like tours in Switzerland and then people will come. You, I mean, even you, you say your, your audience is coming from, so they travel all over the world. Of course. Okay. Yeah. They, Rome, Paris, Marseille, Barcelona, <laughs> everywhere. So yeah. we needed to have at least a little bit everywhere to kind of be at least a little bit relevant. And, mm -hmm. and again, the fun story is we were very opportunistic how, how we acquired that. And some of it was driven by friends, right? We, we talked to our friends and said, hey, check out our platform. Uh, you, you can find everything. And okay, next day they come back and say, hey, but Toby, I'm going to Hawaii. I didn't find anything in Honolulu. Okay, we went back <laughs> internet, searched for guides in Honolulu and tried to acquire that. Yeah. Re really opportunistic and not, not very strategic. Yeah. Uh, but as there was very little sign up, Mm -hmm. uh, cost or kind of sign up effort we could have or we had very quickly a, a lot of inventory yeah. and only then we focused on, on more like the demand right and yeah. back in the days 12 years back it was not so clear that it's paid paid search right sure it was a lot of seo optimization we did a lot of partnerships uh, which still is very successful right mm -hmm. i mean we started with travel.ch a partner that uh, the good thing, they have very targeted audience, right? They know where they, they go and uh, when. Mm -hmm. So we could already in the email send some activities that, that matches. Yeah, um, yeah exactly. And, and But you're saying that, right, so it's always a little bit 
up and down how we focus on demand and supply. Right. Uh, I think demand is always full speed, but sometimes we go a little bit deeper in supply, right? Have more more quality and long tail in fewer destinations, then we go broad and want to have like everywhere something to get a little bit coverage, right? I mean, people are not only going to the big cities, mm. sometimes a little bit other destination that we should sure. also cover, right? So yeah. that's a little bit a wave kind of. The, the story that you shared before of, you know, getting suppliers onboarded for places that your friends visited that reminds me a bit of the article by paul graham from y combinated do things that don't scale that's basically the starting point right you had to make that happen and then they got an instant booking and they were probably really happy that they saw some traction coming in there yeah exactly at the end or at the beginning i was not so sure how much we already thought about super big scale sure uh, and exactly we needed to do what exactly what we saw instant benefit at least our friends were happy if they booked (laughs) (laughs) it's a different question but at least that the the, uh, search result page was not empty with the bookings um how did that work because i could imagine that you know then informing a potential operator about the booking via email or text message or anything of that sort they might also have different systems that they used was that a challenge that you had to overcome in the early days um it was definitely a channel. So the, the channel we've chosen was email and like they could log in our portal and, and, and saw the booking. Mm-hmm. And we did have a few bookings that slipped kind of through sure. and, and, and yeah. they didn't realize. Uh, but I don't think it was a massive problem for us. Um, uh, these days, all like the landscape has changed a little bit. There is a lot of systems uh these suppliers already use, right, for doing, I don't know, all their accounting stuff and so on and so forth. And we definitely need to connect to them. I mean, and we are connecting to those. So, and then also the booking is sent to those. Mm -hmm. They will immediately see it. So I think the problem with all these systems definitely uh, disappeared. Nice. I mean, we still have issues that they don't get picked up and all these, this happens, but I think there is no, no systematic problem. Yeah, perfect. And you also mentioned the importance of having you know, activities all over the world, basically. How did you choose the cities besides your friends visiting them? How did you choose the cities where you wanted to have, you know, activities listed? Did you do like a ranking of the most attractive cities or how did you go about that? Yeah, exactly. I think we used various sources for that. I mean, there's travel reports where Germans go, they don't not only go to uh, Mallorca. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, and where like our, let's say, um, more the, we, we call it the source market it's where the people are coming from mm-hmm. uh, you can have reports on that where they go yeah. right and then it's also like a very clear decision for example we don't do beach right? right because on the beach you're more spontaneous you probably walk to the beach house that that uh, sells or like rents you the, the surfboard yeah. it's not yet so digitalized i mean I'm saying not yet, right? Yeah. So but, we really focus on the big cities and for that you have yeah. pretty good data on uh, where people go and and then it was also one question was always like, can we really unlock the, the supply, right? Can we mm-hmm. get, get enough and good supply or, or in this city? Right. And how do you then go about that? Did you focus on really like paid advertising, SEO and different channels to acquire the, the, the users? So on the, on the supply side, yeah. we, we, we don't do a lot of kind of supplier marketing or okay. we didn't do. We are starting about yet because we also want to have people coming in, right? right? And even more, right? Yeah. So the fat tail, it's always kind of out by we need to call them up yeah. and go and have a coffee. <laughs> so it's a bit like B2B sales, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. 
and we need to tell them the advantages of being on our platform. Mm -hmm. The good thing though is, I mean, 10 years back, nobody knew what we are doing. So I think we have kind of a name and once you get into a city, it's also uh, mouth to mouth, right? So suppliers talk and say, hey, I'm there. They want to be there where the competitors are. So yeah. And you know, then when you grow the market, I can imagine that you generate more and more revenue for a specific partner. And then I just wonder at a certain point, you probably also have really interesting negotiations or discussions on both sides, right? Either they come to you and say, hey, we are so important to you because you bring you that amount of revenue. We want to have you know, a lower fee or whatsoever. Or on the other hand, you could also do the same and say, we bring you so much business. We actually want to now have a higher fee. I, I'm sure you're laughing. These yeah. conversations happen, What do right? you think? In which direction it goes? <laughs> yeah, of course. They always want to make more money. So they come and say, you should lower your fees. It's different. And I was also thinking the same way. I thought, okay, the more, the more volume we get, we can lower the commission, yeah. but it's actually the opposite. So if wow. we bring them more custom, we can increase, increase the conversion, wow. right? And wow. the point is uh, that the more customers they have with us and the friction less, like all, yeah. all the booking process works and the more they trust us, they are willing to give more. Wow. I don't think we make like, for at least for the big ones, we we make the majority of bookings, right? Because mm-hmm. for them, it's also a risk. So if uh, we sure. suddenly rank their products lower yeah. <laughs> on our yeah. page, they are yeah. fucked if, it, <laughs> if <Sure>. it's just <laughs> our channel they're using, right? Yeah. Uh, and that's why probably they are happy to give more commission and still yeah. continue the good collaboration. Yeah. So, yeah. It, How do you balance that? Because uh, it, it's a very not so easy to strike balance because you don't want to charge too much that they will leave the platform, but you also don't want to charge too little to leave too much money on the table. Yeah, it's actually, I mean, I think it saves skills and I don't have that. So it's the people going to have the coffee. Uh, But I do know during the pandemic, we had a hard time. They had a hard time. Mm -hmm. We kind of stopped all the negotiation. So we kind of said, hey, (laughs) let's first get back on track uh, and then let's see. Yeah, because... The bigger we are, and I do get some very bad comments that like, ah, oh, big get your guy, take so much commission, they screw mm-hmm. you. That's the game you play at becoming yeah. bigger. I still hope we are a fair partner yeah. uh, and that our, our commissions are fair to like the, the service we, we provide for them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I think you always have these statements in, in any marketplace business. That's just the way it is. Exactly. You always have people that don't like that don't like what you're doing, and uh, that's part of the game. But it's yeah, I needed to learn to take that. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> on the on the personal level, it's not exactly the easiest thing to do. Yeah. You mentioned COVID, so in 2019 you were actually raising your Series E round, but then in 2020, obviously COVID happened. What was your initial reaction when you saw oh, there's a virus spreading around the the world? Nobody knew what was coming, you know, back then. What was your initial reaction? So I remember the first time I heard about COVID was uh, we were in, on vacation uh, in Arosa, mm-hmm. skiing with my parents-in-law uh, and my mother-in-law said, hey, this virus is coming. Uh, yeah. And I was a little bit laughing and said, sure, yeah. what, what is that? 
and and then at the end of the week she said no there is even a case in switzerland yeah. I said, okay well, okay fair enough one case <laughs> and yeah. then coming back uh, of the vacation i think a couple of weeks later yeah. really like uh it was italy was hit heavily uh, yeah. and i only realized uh, oh wow this was big yeah. uh initial reaction in the company um we had a very quick we came up with three principles so mm -hmm. <laughs> save money <laughs> Of course, really yeah. just save money wherever you can. Yeah. Uh, stay together as a team. And I can yeah. elaborate that a little bit later. Mm -hmm. And still customer first. And customer first was mainly in the first weeks. I knew many people were stuck all around the world. We yeah. didn't want them to have extra pain for yeah. getting refunds for whatever. So yeah. we basically canceled all most of the tours that we knew could not, not happen anymore sure. and refunded money. So that was yeah. additional week. And then stay with the team. We, as a company, we put a lot of effort in culture, yeah. a lot of effort. And just letting go of these people that you kind of paid a lot for making them really fit uh, into the company would be erased, right? Yeah. Uh, so that was really like we believed in our team. Mm -hmm. At the end, we could not make it completely like the pandemic took too long and yeah. customer service was like just sitting at home. I mean, all on Kurzarbeit. Uh, we did let go a few, but uh, the core was still the same. Yeah. And the last one, I mean, uh, saving money and cutting costs, that was actually a very good exercise that we, we did. It was really overall kind of helpful to go over the books and say, mm -hmm. hey, uh, do we need that span? Do mm -hmm. we need that? Um, I wouldn't say we kind of wasted money before, but we were definitely not looking as closely on all, sure. <laughs> and all the lines in the book uh, as we did during the pandemic. And I think it was very helpful that it still continues, right? This kind of mindset, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, do we really need it? You got a bit more disciplined in that yeah, regard. Exactly. What were some of the surprising items that you got rid of from a cost perspective? So there is one item that always surprised me. I mean, I think it was over 200 licensing fees for software tools. Mm. <laughs> I don't even know 200 software tools. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I know how it came, right? You hire someone from another company and they say, hey, we use this tool, okay, let's buy it. And right. another one, hey, we use this tool and suddenly have like a lot. That was really surprising. And yeah. I'm not sure where we are right now, but uh, we could definitely cancel a lot of them without big impact. That's actually a, a good thing to take away for every founder out there, right? analyze your spend and think where you can actually cut costs. Yeah, exactly. Once in a while, look a little bit closer. Uh, do we really need that? Yeah. So, But we it takes time. Of so course, it, it yeah. doesn't come for free. So that's yeah. why most of the founders don't do it and, and rather sure. focus on the business and, and like their main KPIs, right? Yeah. Or the, but, but yeah. One other strategy could be to change your revenue streams. Was that also something that you were thinking about or elaborating in more detail? Uh, the one thing we discussed is going more domestic. So okay. currently we are mainly for traveling going abroad. Mm -hmm. uh, as like borders were closed during pandemic, uh, especially in the US, people yeah. were still traveling, but within US. Right. So can we have or change or adapt our supply to kind of tailor their needs? Uh, we made a conscious decision to say no, mm -hmm. uh, because I think it would have been quite a shift for our sales structure and all the stuff and we all believe travel is coming back i mean okay. we knew it's coming back <laughs> uh we just didn't know when yeah we see it now luckily it is back i mean but, the summer was yeah. amazing i mean 
numbers were skyrocketing. Wow. That's really good. People really needed that travel back. Yeah, exactly. We, we hope it's lasting and it was not only a one-off like yeah. that. Like everybody kind of exactly need to get it back. But we mm -hmm. also hope they, they're going to continue travel next year and right. yeah. <laughs> the year after. And one thing is you mentioned before, right? You didn't know when travel was coming back. So on a personal, on a psychological level, I imagine this must have been really difficult because you basically had to put your whole business on hold. And you didn't know when you were actually able to pick it back up again. How do you deal with that? So for me personally, I didn't really feel felt very bad because I knew it's an external factor and I cannot mm -hmm. do anything. No. I cannot do anything. Uh, Johannes, uh, the CEO and co-founder, he said, I'm stopped looking at the reports. They yeah. make me so depressed. <laughs> I imagine, yeah. And, uh, but it was... The, the, it was the big uncertainty for, for the teams, right? They, yeah, they, yeah, I mean, they, it's their jobs. They didn't know if it's coming back and when do we need to lay off even more people? And yeah. this was the big uncertainty. And, and also, I mean, for the investors, I think Johannes did a very good job to kind of, I mean, we, we start doing, I think, bi-weekly investor calls and, and nice. really a lot of information, very transparent, like really all the detailed number, even internally, we shared many more. Uh, much more numbers than before because mm -hmm. that they see and you mentioned it there was around 2019 which was big plus for us so we yeah. had a lot of money on the bank yeah. so that they saw hey, it's not at risk we can still yeah. operate we can still pay the salaries yeah. and yeah but at the end it was i mean the two years overall was very long the good thing is the summer 2021 mm -hmm. the second year yeah. We already saw a little bit of business. This was really nice. already the hope. And unfortunately, like we slipped into another <laughs> wave sure, yeah. again. But that was a certain light at, at the end of the tunnel. At least we saw, okay, yeah. people are coming back. Right. And, uh, yeah. yeah. But this transparency to really communicate openly and also underlie that with numbers that you openly share across the company and with investors, that's a crucial part to build and to keep the trust of everyone involved. Yes, I think so. And we were always very open with numbers but not in that detail okay. right yeah. because sometimes i mean if you're not with all the background sometimes this number looks scary mm -hmm. even though it's all all green all on track yeah. so that's why we are uh, before a little bit more hesitant to share everything but yeah yeah we're then now when in this summer 2022 you know people were traveling again like crazy did you have to you know re-ramp up the the team sizes or anything of that sort to get back up to speed to not be overwhelmed when travel was actually coming back so the only thing uh, we needed to ramp up is customer service yeah. but this is anyways that we are doing a little bit all the time it's very okay. seasonal business right in summer you have a huge peak and then right. towards winter like you can uh, yeah. i mean how we do it these days is like we have external service providers and they can easily okay. ramp up and the good thing is we are or we are having the peak in summer where mm -hmm. where most of other businesses have to peak probably uh, christmas true, yeah. so i think for even the external provider we are a very good complementary uh, nice. client so yeah. it was basically just ramping up those like all the tech team we uh, and i mean even during the pandemic we heavily pushed on product innovation nice. and, and like tech foundation so we were pretty good to go kept on shipping <laughs> yeah exactly i mean the one thing was was tricky we do a lot of uh, uh, A-B experimentation. Uh, if you yeah. don't have traffic, I mean, you cannot really 
prove what you are launching. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. But that's an okay problem to have. It was okay. I mean, some situation. of the tests we even did uh, again in 2020 okay. too, yeah. uh, to just reevaluate nice. uh, or revalidate. Perfect. Yeah. I also want to talk about the growth of the company because you had a tremendous growth. And with that growth, of course, there also come some challenges with it, right? So my, my first question is to you, to your role as a founder, how has that shifted over time? You know, from the very early days of creating the website, the first Get Your Guide website to today, to leading a full tech team and having really an international company. Um, yeah, I'm actually to correct something. I'm not leading the tech team anymore. And this was a conscious decision and I can tell the history. It's a very good question. So yes, you start as kind of just hacking the website yeah. and then and then suddenly you start employing people. So you immediately become a team lead kind of. Mm-hmm. You, are, sure. you have uh, people responsibility uh, and that's where you grow. And the more people you have, the less you could do on the tech, right? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, this is somehow what I also realized. And I wanted to be on, on top of our tech, of the technology, what we are using, how we are building things. Uh, long story short, we started in hiring a CTO, right? I mean, there was several steps in between, but my role is still, I'm overlooking like the tech kind of as a tech stack. Mm-hmm. Our CTO is more like, uh, um, look at tech, the organization, right? Yeah. He says we need more resources on that area and this area. And I'm basically the one saying how we are doing things and which technology and all these kind of, which is really what I like doing. Perfect. Uh, nevertheless, you, you also grow uh, in leadership, uh, even though you don't have direct people you lead. As a founder, yeah. you're always a leader, right? Of course, yeah. <laughs> whether you want it or not. Yeah, exactly. Obviously. And yeah. yeah, but you grow into role. <laughs> At the same time, this is also something that some founders might get lost along the way, right? Where you say this new role that is needed from a company perspective, is just not a good fit. With you, it's the opposite. It's a perfect fit. It's exactly what you'll enjoy doing, what you're doing today. But these multiple growth curves that you have to go through and always, you know, basically also reinvent yourself to a certain degree. How do you manage that as a founder? Because that's, I can imagine, also quite exhausting. Yeah, but you grow very slowly, right? I yeah. mean, if I if I look now, 700 employees versus five founders, you should say, oh, what a big yeah. step. But I mean, you start hiring one, two, three. Of course, yeah. So you really grow slowly. But what I can recommend, and that's exactly what I did, right? Being a team lead and leading mm-hmm. like the tech organization and not doing tech anymore. It was all about people management. Sure. Reflecting once in a while, I would definitely recommend that, like stepping back and say, hey, do I really like what I'm doing hands on, right? And this is exactly where I said, hey, all these strategic decisions, probably I want to do something more concrete, (laughs) more programmatic right now. Uh, And then we kind of uh, made the transition that I kind of moved as it's called principal engineer, whatever, like still on uh, on the tech stack really mm-hmm. and we were looking for somebody that could form the organization nice and by the way it's also like hiring external people above you is a huge learning for yeah. you as well i mean i could benefit from him so much uh, yeah. it's also amazing that's an amazing source of of learning and also growing yourself amazing. as a person there's also learning by doing involved obviously is there any other source that you you know like working with coaches or mentors along the way to help you with these growth stages. Yeah, I know like growth and personal growth is a huge topic. A couple of years ago, everybody had a mentor. Right, yeah. Uh, then also like you should do online course or whatever. <laughs> 
I don't, never stops. I don't even read books, right? So how yeah. I, I learn is, I mean, sometimes watching tutorials, watching uh, YouTube, it's, it's the better medium for me than books. Sure, yeah. <laughs> uh, but how I learn the, the best is talking to people. Yeah. Talk, and not only internal, but also external. If you call them mentor, I wouldn't say so. They're usually yeah. not following me, or but it's like one-off touches or a couple of times you yeah. talk about a very specific area. Uh, and I'm more focusing on that area that they are currently pressing, not like yeah. in general growth, right? Yeah. And I, I mean, if you read a book about anything and then you don't use it, sure. I'm not sure how much it sticks, right? Yeah, fully agree. It's also very individual. Some people like to read, some people like to listen, whatever works degree, for you, right? figure it out and use that system. Yeah. Yeah. What is from your experience now, you know, going through that growth story with Get Your Guide, what is harder and more difficult, growing revenue or growing headcount? Uh, it's tough. So both is, both is very, very difficult. I mean, just growing headcount is easy. You could just hire, I mean, whatever people, but yeah. growing the right headcount. And mm -hmm. personally, I struggled a lot when I started not knowing everyone anymore. Yeah. <laughs> right? So 80-ish kind yeah. of, this is really when, when it says, oh, is that working with us? Or is it just yeah. visiting? Or... <laughs> that very personally, yeah. I, I, I struggled. And I think yeah. they're exactly this kind of CTO role or like back then it was the CEO, Johannes role to mm -hmm. kind of, form the company in a good way that you can still be efficient. That's very challenging. No. I didn't do that exactly because I wanted to do more tech, uh, but growing revenue is as challenging, right? right. <laughs> because if you could unlock that, uh, yeah. And usually they go hand in hand, right? So you have both challenges at the same time. I mean, ideally you only grow revenue, but not the headcount. <laughs> but <Yeah>. That's, a, <laughs> that, the that's ideal a tricky world. part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. One thing that you also did along the growth, you basically moved your headquarters, not legally, but operationally, so to speak, from Zurich to Berlin. It's also legally. Okay. So now, we, okay. we are still Get Your Guide Auge in Switzerland. Okay. But if you book currently with Get Your Guide, you make a contract with Get Your Guide Deutschland GmbH. Okay. So it's also legally we moved yeah. there. Yeah, the story is that uh, the thing that even made us open an office in Berlin was uh, customer service. So mm -hmm. we realized a lot of questions about our product because it's not an easy product as flights. You go from A to B, right? Or hotels, you right. kind of know king size, queen size. <laughs> it's all already right. standardized. It's not for us. So a lot of people called us and we just couldn't handle that. And mm -hmm. uh, having people for customer care in Switzerland is way too expensive, right? right. Uh, and then we decided to go to Berlin and open an office. So we sent out to Berlin and he hired a bunch of people. <laughs> it was very successful. Yeah. I mean, 10 years back, uh, Berlin was not that hyped as, as these days. So a lot of unemployment, I mean, big yeah. uh, international talent. And it was really easy to hire people. So we started mm. with, uh, uh, with uh, customers, service agent, then sales, then marketing and so yeah. on. And we saw that it was way easier there than, it, than in Zurich. And then eventually, I mean, Johannes moved then, Martin, the other founder, and then we had a little bit troubles, like <laughs> two founders in Zurich, four, uh, three founders more or less in Berlin. Mm -hmm. And we saw that it was not so healthy. So we decided, okay, let's double down on Berlin. Yeah. It's where we saw bigger opportunities. Uh, and the question comes, why are we still in Zurich? Sure. And I committed to help transition, but I could not commit to stay for longer in Berlin. Yeah. And I think my co-founders 
took that and say, okay, in this case, let's keep Zurich, uh, but a pure engineering office. Mm -hmm. And these days we are roughly 80 people again, and it's a very strong team. I mean, you also have great access to talent here in Zurich, right? So that's probably a big asset, despite, of course, having higher costs probably, but that's a strong access to talent right here. Yeah, exactly. I mean, what we are doing e-commerce is definitely not very hyped in Zurich. So that's more international and many function marketing and all the stuff. I think the, the market in Berlin is even better. Mm -hmm. Even though you, if you acquire or if you attract ta international talents, Berlin is still like the more shiny city for okay. most of the people we, we employed than Zurich. I agree on the tech, very strong talent pool in, in Zurich, but you also have very strong companies. Right, yeah. <laughs> Not to name it again, but Google. Of course. Uh, it's amazing to have them here, but for us, that's the enemy in sure. competition with talents, right? And and you see more and more big tech companies moving to Zurich, which mm -hmm. makes it even harder for us to kind of get those talents. What helps you to attract someone to join Get Your Guide and not Google? Um, we always say that in Get Your Guide, you can still achieve something and release something quickly. I, I think Google is just so big right. that most of the project, I don't know if they ever make it to life. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, definitely as a smaller company, I think also the vision, I mean, travel is always good. Like people love it, but it's actually very tough to kind of sell people why they should join us uh, uh, than Google. I think it's definitely a different culture, right? I mean, Google is so right. big. It's yeah. almost a corporate. Yes, you have all these benefits. <laughs> if that's what you want, yeah, then go to Google. <laughs> sure. Yeah. It's also a very personal choice, a personal preference, how you prefer to work. Probably. I mean, Google is definitely on top of all the computer science students at some point, right? Yeah. It's the big tech giant and they are doing amazing products. Uh, no question. Yeah. But if you want to stay there for a longer time, I don't know. Yeah. I think you can still have much, much more impact at Get, at get Your Guide than at Google. Unless, I mean, you're, you're doing this amazing feature that got promoted <laughs> on the search, search page, right? Fair point. <laughs> now, if you look into the future, you successfully navigated through the COVID waters, but there are, of course, more challenges coming up in the world. You know, the Ukraine war with, with Russia, basically. Uh, other maybe again COVID lockdowns that might happen, who knows? Uh, high inflation, just to name a few. Do you think that Get Your Guide with everything that you just went through over the past years is becoming more resilient to also navigate through these challenges? Yeah, definitely. I think we are more resilient. And uh, again, I think those external factors we cannot influence. So we, we just need to be ready and be reactive. I mean, have the possibility to react quickly uh, to navigate through those. And, and so far, the war was not directly affecting us. Inflation, probably. Mm -hmm. um, let's, let's see how, how that continues. Um, yeah, but I think we will take whatever comes. <laughs> and what are your plans for the future? What do you have, you know, plan in terms of expansion or feature development that you want to build in the, in the near future? Yeah, I think our product is far from perfect. So there is still a lot to do. And now with having a lot of traffic again, we also see like these few features being used, right? So it's nice. much, much more fun these days to, to develop features. Uh, people are asking, ah, are you going into the hotel space or, mm -hmm. or, or kind of a restaurant space? 
I don't think in the near future that because there's still so much to do in our verticals and there's yeah. even within our verticals, there's from ticket, from guided tours, transport shows, there's still so much to do. I, I think we should focus on those mm -hmm. and really nail those. So there, there is a lot of things to do. Really excited. I mean, to even further improve the, the product. Absolutely. And if you look at your fundraising, right, you raised a significant amount of funds. At a certain point, this also, of course, pushes your valuation and makes a potential acquisition less and less likely because the potential purchase price is just getting higher and higher. Is an acquisition something that you're thinking about or are you more thinking about doing an IPO one day with Get Your Guide? Yeah, acquisition was definitely a topic a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, currently we are really making the books clean that, that we could go IPO. Yeah. And uh, definitely these days it's not the right time. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so we need also to see uh, like how the, uh, this market kind of uh, goes. Um, but it always depends. Like if there is someone giving an offer and we have the feeling it's very well fit, we, sure. we don't say no. But currently it looks more like an IPO than an acquisition. Absolutely. Yeah. At a certain point, you just get too big to potentially be acquired. Exactly. Personally, I would love to be acquired by Booking.com, right? I yeah. mean, this was always like a little bit our godfather, right? They mm -hmm. did all the right things for, for uh, hotels and we right. followed in many, many uh, cases what they did. Um, yeah, we also had not always good relationship. We did partner with them and then yeah. they stopped collaboration. They did with uh, someone else. Okay. So, and yeah, currently, as you said, it's probably too big for them. Yeah, right. Now, Toby, to wrap up the conversation, we also have some rapid fire questions for you, where we want to give you a choice that you can like different options to choose from or a simple question. And you have to answer in one sentence. Good. You try that. Let's go. What is your favorite destination in Europe? In Europe, it's Prague. Nice. How many hours of sleep did you get last night? Uh, not so much. My big kid came over. <laughs> oh, okay. Fair point. What is the, the most important or most relevant destination for Get Your Guide? Rome. Rome. Wow. Okay. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Tea only if I'm sick. Okay. <laughs> Are you a museum goer, a trekker, a clubber, a wanderer? What do you do when you go on activities abroad? Uh, still some clubbing. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> if the kids are not around. <laughs> I mean, the Berlin office is probably a great space for that, right? Definitely. <laughs> and that brings you to the last question for you today. Berlin or Zurich? Yeah, Zurich. That's where you are and where your heart is, I guess. <laughs> exactly. Nice. Toby, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was a real pleasure talking to you. Lots of success and all the best for the future. Thanks. I wish the same for you. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, you can support us by rating our show on Apple Podcasts. This way, we can reach an ever-growing number of aspiring entrepreneurs.